if you would have told me three months ago that I would have moved 800 miles away from my mama and everybody that I ever loved and completely started over because God told me to, I would have definitely told you that you were crazy and that there was no way that it was possible. But as I sit here, (laughs) I understand one, why it's necessary. And two, I understand more about who I am and who God is in me. And that's what therapy is all about. We come to the couch and we call inner me to the carpet because we recognize that there are some things that God needs to deposit into us. And there are some things that God needs to depart from us. And if we're truly going to live the life of God's dreams unapologetically and unabashedly, then we have to be prepared. And the best way to be prepared is by getting to see God in a new way, in a renewed way. And that's what therapy is all about. We want to see God on the inside. And we want to live the life of God's dreams. So buckle up, Buttercup, because we about to get to the couch and call inner me to the carpet. Let's get into it. I just saw a video of a woman who was completely brokenhearted as she was expressing the hurt that she's currently going through. And in a very real and in a very vulnerable way, she said some things that so many women and men, but I'm mainly talking to my women, can really resonate with. She said that when it came down to being with men, she knew how to survive. She knew how to lay down. She knew how to cook. She knew how to clean. But she didn't know how to love a man. And that is such a real statement because many of us grew up either with a father who wasn't as present as we would have wanted, or we grew up completely without one. Very few women do I know grew up with a present father who loved them unconditionally, who was able to be that first man that they ever loved for real. And even if they had that, they still were not necessarily taught how to love a man romantically. We are basically shamed out of loving a man in our early years, told to stay away from boys, told all the things that we shouldn't do. And then magically one day you wake up and you're an adult and people are asking, well, where's your husband or your kids? And it's this realization of I don't want to mess somebody up the way I've been messed up, so I want to learn how to love first. Why is it so difficult to want to love? Well, 
in therapy, we are coming to the couch and calling inner me to the carpet. And as I watched this video, it really triggered something on the inside of me. And God started speaking to me. And he said, daughter, this is why my heart is grieved. Because there are generations of young women growing up not knowing the unconditional love of a father. So then they're growing up seeking that love in other male figures. And because as a society we are being told that we are only as good as our body is worth, we grow up under this perverted mindset that If I give my body to you, you're going to love me. If I give myself away, you're going to love me or you're at least going to pay me enough attention to fill my love void. (laughs) And then that creates this cycle because we lay down with a man who actually couldn't give two craps about us, but because we are literally giving of ourselves for love... We feel that because he doesn't love us and we've given ourselves to him, now there must be something on the that's actually wrong with us. There's something wrong with me and that's why you don't love me even though I've given you the best that I've got. Because I never learned that the best that I have is actually on the inside of my heart and not between my legs. Because growing up, that's all the boys wanted. The boys wanted to kiss you. They wanted to touch you. They wanted to do all the other things to you. But the boys never really wanted to love you. And as a result, you never learned. You never learned how to love. And as God has been taking me through this journey, that is something that he has been reaffirming each and every day is that I need to get to the place of unconditional love. I need to get to my first love before he can give me the love that I am worthy of. Because when God gives us something before we're ready, we mess it up. And oftentimes that's what we end up doing. We are not in the place mentally or spiritually or even cognitively for some of us to love and to be loved. And the reason why I say cognitively is because many of us endured some sort of sexual trauma, sexual abuse, molestation, rape, whatever you want to call it. Some of us were touched inappropriately. Most of us were probably touched inappropriately. And some of us even to the point of like the penetration barrier being broken. Whatever that trauma looks like for you, Cognitively, when we suffer trauma, trauma is literally a point in our life where something happens beyond our ability to cope. We can't make sense of it. And for a lot of us, our cognitive function shuts down. We are literally stuck then at the age of that trauma. Because our brain, inner me, is wired for safety. And when we experience a traumatic event, that triggers our brain to say, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't safe. And because this isn't safe, I now need to adapt into a different kind of person to where I can now be safe. And for a lot of us, that means 
giving of ourselves in ways that actually aren't safe, but they're safer than saying no. It's safer for me to just lay here and take it than it is for me to tell you no. At least if I lay here and take it, it'll be over soon and then life can go on. But if I say no, there's a whole lot of unknowns that could possibly happen and cause me more harm than I can cope with. And we perpetuate this cycle in our lives a lot of times when we don't realize it. We start seeking out this toxic love. We start seeking out this toxic way of, I only want to be attracted to the kinds of men who won't give me the time of day unless I spread my legs. They don't actively want to know who I am as a person. And when we get stuck there, so now here we are, cognitively function in the mind of a little girl with these grown woman features where men are oogling. And that's the attention that we didn't get from our daddy. And so in our mind, it's like, oh, okay, man attention. Got it. Man attention means give my body. Okay. In order to be safe, in order to get the attention that I feel like I need, in order to have my most basic need of safety and belonging met, I need to give my body because that's what this man wants. Okay, but here's the problem with that. Well, one of the problems with that is God's love for us is not predicated on anything that we could give to him. God's love exists simply because God exists. And the reason why it is so critical for us in this age, in this day, in this time, to grab a hold to the love of God is because it's these layers on our heart that are keeping us from God. I guarantee you there are people who are going to listen to this and probably haven't even made it this far, if we're being honest. The moment I started talking about God, the moment I started talking about God's love, they probably tuned it out and was like, God don't love me, God ain't never loved me, yada, yada, yada. Lies. God does love us. And this is probably going to hurt somebody's feelings. But take your offense up with Jesus. Don't bring it to me. All right, so here we go. Welcome to therapy. God's love for us does not mean that we are not going to go through bad things. God's love for us means that those bad things, that pain always has a purpose. And when we are presented with that pain, we are then presented with two options. We are presented with option A of, God, this pain hurts. What do I do with it? Or option B, God could not allow me to go through this pain if he loved me. So I now no longer trust in God. Most of us, more often than not, go for option B because that's easier. It's easier to blame God 
for this bad thing that has happened and then distance ourselves from him. That is literally the goal of the enemy. The enemy, since day one, since the moment that Lucifer became Satan, he has been trying to destroy the connection between us and God. And ever since that day, he's been looking to seek who he could devour. And he's been devouring us from the inside out. He's been devouring us by cutting the connection between us and God so that we never actually realize how much God actually loves us so that we never fully become who God designed for us to become because the only way we can become who God designed us to become is if we tap into his unconditional love because his unconditional love is what is going to unpeel back those layers and uproot those pains until God releases the purpose in those pains. And the enemy can't let that happen because the moment that you break free from the pain and allow God to show you its purpose is the moment that the enemy has lost. That is the moment that the prophecy begun begins to be fulfilled. The prophecy from Genesis 3 and 15, when God told Eve that her seed was going to crush the head of the serpent. That is the prophecy that Satan has been trying to keep from happening. And every time we are presented with pain and we are presented with those two options of either saying, Daddy, it hurts, fix it. Or you can't love me if you let me go through this pain, so I don't trust you. Every time we're presented with those two options and we choose option B, we are literally hurting ourselves more than we are doing anything else because God is literally saying, I know that these days are going to be full of trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. These present trials are going to make you into who I've called you to be. These light afflictions cannot pay, compare to the weight of glory that is coming on the other side. That is God's word. And because God's word, one, cannot return to him void, and two, he cannot lie. That means that when God's word says that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and called according to his purpose, that includes you, it includes me, it includes us. So that literally means that all things, not just the things that feel good, not just the things that make sense. Yes, that molestation is working for your good. Yes, that abandonment is working for your good. Yes, them leaving you is working for your good. Yes, them misunderstanding you is working for your good. Yes, them mistreating and abusing you is working for your good. But here's the thing about it, though. We have to give it to God so that he can refine us in the fire of affliction. That's why we are having the pain. Because what God does is there are certain points in life that we have to learn certain things. We have to learn not to put our trust in man. So that means that there are going to be times where man has to disappoint us. Because God is saying, hey, I don't need you to trust in them. I need you to trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding or to the understanding of anybody else. Because you know what it's called when we place someone else above God? It's called idolatry. We make idols of people in our lives when we trust in their word and in their ability to come through for us more than we trust in God's ability. So I get why some people in the Christian faith are against therapy. I do. 
But here's the thing. All things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But there are some practical tools that God has equipped therapists with that help us to peel back the layers. Because God is going to do the heart surgery. That's no doubt. God is going to do that. But most of our hearts are so hardened and so calloused that God can't penetrate them yet. Like in the video that I was watching, she literally was saying like how painful it was or how hurt she was to know that there was something wrong with her and not know how to fix it. And all I wanted to say was baby girl, baby girl, baby girl, you better try Jesus. Okay. And I mean it. I, I literally mean it with everything that I have on the inside of me. God wants to fix it. When you cried yourself to sleep at night, God was there. And I know it sounds awful. Like, why would God just sit there and let me cry all night? He can't love me if he would let me cry all night. Okay, but when you were crying and you were praying to him, he may have given you an instruction. God is a God of order and obedience. When God gives us instruction, we have to follow the instruction because on the other side of following the instruction is the answer to the question and or the next step that we need to keep moving along the journey. In this life, you will have trouble. Ish is going to hit the fan and it's going to hurt. People are going to misuse you. They're going to misunderstand you. Your job is going to drive you crazy. You may even have periods in your life where you feel like you are literally the only person that knows what you are going through. But I am here to tell you right now that that is not so. And not only is that not so, that is a trick of the enemy to make you feel as though you are isolated on an island all by yourself. That's not so. God has literally put us together. We are individual parts of a larger body and each of us serves a function that is so important to the ministry and to the body of God that we are literally fighting for our lives because of that. What God has placed on the inside of each and every one of us is a planet shaking purpose. It is something that God has put on the inside of you to literally turn the world upside down. And that is why you are in the fight of your life right now. That is why you cannot seem to catch a break right now because you are so rooted in survival mode that God is trying to now get you to emerge into the ease of his greatness. But you don't know how to do that because all you've ever known is how to put your hand to the plow to survive. And God is saying, hey, wait, pause, time out. Take on my yoke. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is saying, cast your cares to me. God is saying, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about a doggone thing, but bring everything to me in prayer. And that scripture, it literally says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, pray to God, giving God all thanks. Then 
you will get the peace that surpasses all understanding. Many of us are fighting for survival because we only want peace. I just want peace. So I got to survive so that I can try to get this peace because I'm trying to get a piece of the peace that I know that I need because otherwise I'm going to go crazy. But God is saying, you don't need a piece of the peace. I'm going to give you the peace that surpasses all understanding if you stop worrying and pray. And I know you're probably like, Destiny, shut up because it's not that easy. I ain't say it was easy. Mm-mm. It is not easy, but it is very simple. Countless times in scripture, God tells us to stop. (laughs) Be still and know that I am God literally means to cease striving, to stop what you are doing. Stop trying to figure it out and follow God through it. And so what that looks like in our everyday get out the bed life that we live is God, this person hurt me with what they said. I know that I could go get them. I know that I could cuss them slap out. I know that I can call their mama a ugly bald head, fat rat tail head, boot de boot de boot, blah, blah, blah. But I don't want to do that. I'm going to give you this pain. God, they just told me that I have a disease that is an incurable. You said that all things work together for my good, but I don't see how this can work for my good. God, please show me. Paul even said it. Paul was like my favorite. If you didn't know, (laughs) he said, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because here's the thing about us. We are two parts. We are part spirit and we are part human. The human part of us, our mind, our will, our emotions, our body. That is the thorn that Paul was speaking of. It is the part that keeps us humble. It is the part that reminds us of why we need God. That's the part that has that unbelief. But Our spirit, the God in us, is that belief part. And so when we're talking about finding love, unconditional love in God, that means that we have to get our spirit rooted in God. Because the thing about it is, is what you feed is what grows. And so if we're feeding our spirit, that means that our spirit is going to grow. And that's where God wants us. God wants for the Holy Spirit, who is going to reveal the truth to us, to be in the driver's seat of our lives. I I forget where the scripture is. And it no, no, it's in John. John says it like three, four times. John talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit comes to reveal the truth. And here's how Holy Spirit reveals the truth. Holy Spirit is the third part of the Godhead. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father speaks through Holy Spirit to us. Holy Spirit is like the umbilical cord that gets us, gets our spirit the nourishment that it needs from God. And so 
without sounding extra woo-woo, making it make sense for our everyday get-out-the-bed life. The first step that we have to take in finding unconditional love in God is to, one, recognize that nothing has separated us from God's love to begin with. I know. You messed up. You made some mistakes. You have fallen short. But guess what? All have fallen short. (laughs) All have sinned and fallen short. Every single one of us. There is but one who is perfect and his name is Jesus. God already got one of them. He don't need you to be Jesus. He needs you to be exactly who he called and designed you to be. But until we tap into his unconditional love, we don't actually know who that is. Because what we have been living in for, not we, destiny, I'll speak for myself. What destiny has been living in for, let's just say two decades, we'll lowball it here, is the residuary identity. Um, which I talk about in Vulnerable and Victorious, but I'll break it down a little bit here. When we go through trauma, big T or little T, whatever. Remember I said cognitively, you are stuck at that age. So what happens is our heart and our mind develop this residue. And that residue calluses, it gets hard. And our identity then becomes locked in that residue. That's where we get the bitterness. That's where we get the apprehension to trust people. That's where we get the codependency. That's where we get all of these mental battles that we struggle with because our residuary identity has been created to keep us safe. But at that time of keeping us safe, it's really doing more harm than good because we're not actually sure or aware of who we are designed to be. God has designed each and every one of us. Did you know that God has numbered every hair on your head? Did you know that God's precious thoughts for you outnumber the grains of sand? Did you know that God's plan for you is to prosper and not harm you? And so in those very moments of that pain, it's when God is saying, hey, remember remember my word where I said that my plan was to prosper and not harm you? If you are being harmed, one, that's not a part of God's plan. Because the pain isn't the part of the plan. The purpose is for you to go to God in that pain and say, what do I do with this? Because his plan is to prosper us, give us hope and a future. But if we're so stuck and rooted in the residuary identity, we can't then allow God to peel back the layers of that identity to find the root of who we are. So how do we do that? Well, first off, we recognize that nothing has separated us from the love of God. That's the first step. Once, as we are accepting that nothing has separated us from God, we got to get into his word. We have to listen to what God is saying to us in his word. And we have to hear what God is saying in his word. Let he who hath an ear hear. But that means 
more than just listening, more than just reading the word, you have to perceive, you have to have a level of understanding about the word that you're reading. And what that means is, it's straight out the scripture, that word have I hid in my heart. Instead of just reading the Bible, study it. I know, studying, oof, trigger word, I know. We spent all-nighters in college studying Shout out to Georgia Southern Club Handy. Woo woo. I know studying is a bad word. Except in this context. <laughs> Study to show yourself approved is what the word says. And when we study God's word, all we're doing is looking at the words and asking God what he mean. <laughs> That's it. Rightly dividing the word of truth is not just reserved for pastors and preachers and people that can shout real hard. It is for everybody. Every single person. It Somewhere, I think it's in the Bible where it tells us. Mm, let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. Mm. And all you're getting, get understanding. So even if you got a favorite preacher and that preacher be speaking to your life. And all that you're getting and what that preacher is saying, get an understanding. Go to the word for yourself. I'm sure that's a scripture somewhere. Learn the word for yourself. But what does that look like? Okay, so boom, shameless plug. There are two devotionals that God has given me. There's the saucy devotional and the spam guide. I know the acronyms are (laughs) blame Jesus, don't blame me. But with those devotionals, each of them serve a different purpose. If you are just beginning the journey and you just want to know how to read the Bible. I recommend the saucy devotional because it's going to allow you to look at a scripture and allow God to speak to you so that you can get an understanding. And it takes the understanding and brings you a conviction. Now, time out, pause. What you mean conviction? Okay, so God's conviction brings correction, not condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That means that when you read a scripture and it's triggering, it makes you go, ooh, ouch, I think you're talking about me. That's conviction. And what you should do with that is say, ooh, ouch, I think you're talking about me. So how do I become better? Remember, we got these choices. We got choice A is God, this pain hurts. Oh, help me. And then there's choice B. Uh Uh-uh. If you hurt me, that means you don't love me, so I don't trust you. If we take choice A when we get convicted, then God can do the heart surgery on us so that we no longer have that callus on our heart. Because generally, if we're sinning against God in some way, it's because of something that's on the inside of our heart that's making us do it. That's another conversation for another day. So once we are listening and hearing for God and we're studying, you got to pray. Prayer is the building block for all that matters. Literally everything that matters. You know how an atom is like the building block for all matters scientifically? Yeah. Adam is to science as prayer is to spirit. Come on, SAT analogies. <laughs> but any hoosers, prayer is the building block for all that matters. Don't worry about nothing. Pray about everything. 
the reason why I really love the spam guide is because it it puts us in a position of prayer. You literally are praying over a scripture to really soak it in. The Bible tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. And when I first read that, okay, not even going to lie. I was like, God, how am I supposed to pray all day? I'm in school. I'm at work. I got things to do. It's money to be made. And he was like, I don't mean pray and do nothing all day. I mean, allow your spirit to be open to receive from me and to speak to me. (laughs) So praying without ceasing just means in the smallest moments and in the largest moments, pray. Prayer is simply a conversation with the Lord. In the very way that I'm talking, okay, in the very way that I'm talking to you, but I cannot see you, but I'm having a conversation with you right now, is the same way we are to pray. The only thing about it is, is a lot of times God is going to speak back. Yeah, I'm hoping that when you listen to this, you're going to comment or find me on social media or send me an email. But the reality is you probably won't. But God's not like you. (laughs) God's not like man. God's going to speak to you. And getting our spirit rooted in God is how we tap into the frequency of God. It's how we tap into that space where God communes with us. In Genesis, God talks about how he walked with Adam and Eve in the coolness of the garden. God wants to get back to where he walked with us in the coolness of the garden. Because remember, the only reason why we don't do that right now is because the enemy has severed the connection. And so what we're doing in therapy and in Rooted and in everything that God has gifted me to do is we are restoring that connection. We are redeeming and we are reconciling our connection to God by way of the Spirit. Because, again, that's what therapy is all about. Therapy is just a conversation led by God on how to navigate the journey from who you've always been into who God has always dreamt of you becoming. God has always dreamt of us becoming his children again in the garden with him, where there is no disconnect between us. And so everything that we are talking about, hopefully, prayerfully, points back to God's love. Because that's what God desires. Contrary to popular belief, God actually doesn't want us out here struggling and straining, just trying to make it. (laughs) He doesn't want us out here trying to figure things out. God actually wants for us to trust in him with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. He wants us in all of our ways to acknowledge him so that he can direct our paths. And guess what? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And guess what happens when God orders our steps? He delights in his way. 
You ever thought about how your life would be if God delighted in your way? Like God of the universe, the creator, the almighty, the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, creator, extraordinaire, author and finisher of your faith. You ever thought what would happen if you made him happy in the way that you was walking in your life? Think about it. If you took the next step that God told you to take and God began to delight in your life, what that would look like. Because when we, I'm literally about to look up the word delight right now. When we delight, delight means to please greatly. God is pleased greatly when we allow him to order our steps. It says it in the word. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. So if God is pleased greatly in ordering our steps, side note, that is Psalms 37 and 23, just in case. If that's what God desires, because we know it's what he desires, because who doesn't want to be happy? Even God want to be happy. God wants to be pleased with his creation. That's why we were created. He looked at us and said, ooh, it is good. When God said it is good after creating man, that wasn't just for Adam in the beginning. When God looked at man and said, it is good, this is this is what the Lord has said to man, okay? He looked at Adam's entire lineage in the very same way that he looked at your entire lineage and said, it is good, not just at the time of creation, but for the duration of time. You are good and God delights in you simply because you exist and he delights in the way when you allow him to order your steps. That's why God has done everything to keep us from falling. God despises sin and could have easily just snatched us up. God could have thanos us lickety split. But he said, no, I won't do that. I'm going to send them Jesus. God came down to the earth, swaddled in some raggedy rags and a stinky, filthy manger and went through life as a regular, regular child. And if you live life as a regular, regular child, you know it's ghetto. <laughs> but God did that. He did that for us. Come on, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But what's the power in that to me is that Jesus wasn't just God's son. Jesus is God in human form. And so God loves us so much that he said, okay, I don't want to just kill my babies. I want them to live and I want them to have life more abundantly. I want them to live in such a way that eyes have not seen and that ears have not heard and that it has never entered into the heart of any man 
all that I'm going to do in for and through them. I want my children, my heirs and joint heirs to live as if they know that their father is rich (laughs) in houses and in land and he has cattle on a thousand hill. Just like with the prodigal son, when he went back to his father, daddy ain't asked no questions. That dad wrapped his arms around his son and kissed him. If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, I highly suggest you read it. Let me find out where it is for you. The prodigal son is in Luke 15, Luke 15, 11 through 32. And what I love about that story, and I'm wrapping up after this, is that literally, verse 31, And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. This is the father talking to the second son. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this year brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The prodigal son, his father, didn't care where he had been, didn't care what he had done. All he cared about was that his son was dead and now he's alive he was lost and now he is found that is what I want to leave you with and I pray that in something I said in this long ramble (laughs) that you would find the strength and courage to let God find you again to return back to your father to return to that unconditional love of God the almighty and remember that you have a planet shaking purpose remember that you absolutely matter to God and remember that the choice to be a planet shaker is always yours yours I can speak (laughs) the choice is always yours I love you to wholeness and I mean it